0: Through Scripture, We happen to believe that all scripture is inspired by God and useful for correcting and teaching and equipping for righteousness. <clears throat> that every servant of the Lord would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So with that, we have gone all the way we began in Genesis, because that was the first book, and it just seems logical to continue to go through. We are now in the fourth book, and that's the book of Numbers, We are now in chapter 5. So, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and we want to give them to you. And I remind you, at the end, these are more just bigger Bibles, but again, at the end, if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible and trade it in for one of the new ones that you can take home with you. If you just think it's cool and you want to take one, and you already have some, then buy it. But again, we're not selling them, so there you go. I would say today, as I would any day, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Let the scripture always have the final say. Let the Bible always be that for which you hold all things accountable, including this. We're going to go right to prayer. We're going to dig in. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, you've told us to redeem every moment because the days are evil. And I ask you to redeem every second in here. (coughs) Lord, I ask for you to to be with my voice that it would not be difficult to listen to that we could hear your voice today. So get me out of your way. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, and guide and lead so that every one of us would be so blown away, so ministered, so therapized. God, you know every one of us. You speak fluent us. Lord, you know every one of us, be it English as our first language, second or whatever. You know, Lord, the battles we fought and lost. You know, the battles we fought and won. You know, the things that we've, we hold on to that are just solid regret. Those things that we wish we could do over. You know, those things, Lord, that, that we struggle with and battle with right now. You know, every speck of dust under our shoes, every atom in our body that makes our bodies, every hair on our head, or some of us, every hair that used to be on our head. You know, every freckle, what makes us giggle and nod. You are so acquainted with our ways, but you want to know us deeper. And though you know everything, what you want is more experiential time with us, where we walk with you, where we know you better, where we surrender more to you, where we offer ourselves to you to allow you as the potter to reshape us and make us the masterpiece you invented us to be. But we recognize today, Lord, there will be battles to be fought challenges Lord there will be issues Lord even here that will be distractions issues in our heart things in our mind the world around us and what we'll be returning to after we leave this building and I pray this time be a time so chock full of heaven it'd be like taking the best bath we've ever had Lord where we know you right your call on our life, your love for us, who we are in you, that everything be transformed, our thinking, what we feel, what we know, be completely revolutionized. And Lord, in this beautiful book, we pray that it would burst open and come alive and that we would have so much fun in it. And Lord, that we would get it today, that every one of us would get it. Oh Lord, please have your way with us now. As we commit this time to you, Lord, be ever pleased and blessed in it. As we surrender this to you, Lord, fill me with your spirit and do through me what I cannot humanly do. And may every second be just perfect in you. Save, challenge, exhort, encourage, strengthen. Do all you intend your word to do. And may we and just now, Lord, may we be captivated in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so listen, for 400 years, we've been slaves. Think about this. 400 years living in a land that's not our own, a land of Egypt. We had gone there because of a, of a drought, because of a famine 430 years ago. But for 400 of those years, we've been slaves. It's all we've known. All we've known is bondage. All we've known is slavery. No freedom, no do as we wish. It's been total bondage. And God sends a deliverer, a man named Moshe, which means drawn out. And God then systematically takes down every one of the Egyptian gods. Ten plagues were not ten random acts for God to give. Ten movements to prepare us for ten commandments. This was, in essence, 10 very basic gods that were worshipped in Egypt. And he wanted to make sure that not only the Israeli, but the Egyptian knew that there was only one God worth serving, and that was the one that was going to lead them out. God even said that he would strengthen the resolve of Pharaoh so that even the Egyptians would know that he was the Lord. Not so that he could go, but that they would come too. And we left. And God left with the people and led us through the Red Sea to a place called Mount Sinai, where God would then give us the law. But he would do more than just give us the law there. It wasn't like God said, hey, here's some laws, and if you do them, I'll get you out of bondage. Hear me, God got them out of bondage first. Then he gave them law. See, the idea was simple. He took you out of Egypt, but he didn't want you going back, and he didn't want you taking Egypt with you. And so God started preparing us. But not only did he say these were standards, not just Ten Commandments, but a whole new social strata. I want to recreate society for you. Because the society you live in, can I just say, sucks. It sucks life out of you. It sucks everything out of you. And everybody comes to take Everybody comes to take from you. And no matter what the case is, and when you're in need, it's hard to find someone to give because they're too busy trying to figure out what to take from you. And God says, that's not how it should be if you're my people. You are not to look like the world. You are not to look like the rest of the world. You should be so radically different that the world should ask where in the world you came from and your answer is not Jamaica, Spain, America, because your citizenship now is in heaven and they need to see something that looks heavenly. Let's face it, the way you talk tells us you came from somewhere else. The way you dress tells me. You watch somebody and their face is round and they have that beautiful chocolate face with a little bit of purple in it and they're all loud like this and they wear these moo's that go down there and they're colorful and you just go, Nigeria, huh? And they're like, yeah, how'd you know? Everything about you says it, man. It's Italy, and you walk by, and you're like, no, and all of a sudden, the hands go out like this, right? You want to keep Deborah quiet, tie her hands to her side? She can't talk. (laughs) Let me tell you. (laughs) And you watch her, and you walk somewhere else, she'll go, pasta, and she stops. It's a very different thing. You can tell, by the way, and I'm not trying to generalize, but you get this. It's like, the Jamaican will get in your face. It doesn't matter what it is. If you have something in your teeth, they will get in your face. Hey, you've got something in your teeth, right? Now, that's not traditionally British. But for some of us, we love that. Because it's better than walking around with something in your teeth all day. And the reason I say that is, is there are hints of where you came from that came with you. And now you're a citizen of heaven. So how do we talk different? What's our accent? What's our behavior now? What's so different that people look and go, so where exactly are you from? I can't put it up. People think I'm from South Africa or from Australia. Nobody guesses America. I don't get it. It doesn't matter. I'm like, well, good. Well, I'm not from there. Where? I'm like, heaven. And then their mind's totally blown. They don't know what to do with that. And God's like, now let's start building a whole new culture. So different, so distinct, that when you actually move into the new neighborhood, People are going to know you're different. And the problem is we have this part of us that wants to fit in. And if we don't create the society here, you'll want to fit in with the dead. And God doesn't want that. God wants influence. And if we're busy trying to fit in, we won't be busy influencing. So with that, God starts saying, and listen, how does it really all happen? It isn't just here's some laws. Don't kill each other. Stop stealing and stop having sex with people you're not married to. Okay. Wow. That's what makes us different. No, it isn't. Because God said, then, now make me a sanctuary that I can dwell among you. That's what makes it different. He says, different in all the camp is not simply these actions and these behaviors. God says, I want to be with you. Understand, this isn't a God who, like, randomly lets you evolve and then sort of watched you from a distance for, like, that's like his entertainment. He's like, let's just turn on the London channel today. Oh, look at them struggle. (laughs) Ha ha ha! Gabriel, come here, watch this one. Really? Do you think that's who God is? You are an intentional creation by a perfect God who doesn't make mistakes. Hey, please hear me. God doesn't make spare parts because He's a perfect inventor. When God puts you together, it isn't like He went, hmm, "Well, where's this come from? We have this left over." He knew how many arms to put on you. He knows what He's doing. And as He starts to do it, He's like, "Look at since Eden, I've been hungering to be with you guys." but this is going to happen by sacrifice. And if that kind of turns your stomach, it's supposed to. See, sacrifice was not the kind of thing where like, yippee skippy, I get to kill another animal. This is the kind of thing that's supposed to break our heart because we as shepherds, we named our animals. Someone's name was going down with this. And that was the whole point of how we were supposed to view sin. We weren't supposed to view it with this nonchalant kind of attitude, this cavalier attitude. God's like, look, at anything that takes you away from me should really, really hurt you the same way that you probably think of cancer as a bad thing until someone you love gets it, then it's really bad. I lost my mother to cancer. By the time I was born, I watched her erode into a skeleton in front of me. The reason I hate cancer isn't simply because ideologically it hurts people. I watched personally when I was a nine-year-old carrying my mother from room to room. Please hear me. The way that I view cancer, God views sin because what it does is it erodes and tears us down until we're nothing. And God doesn't want it. See, the reason why God hates sin is because he loves you. You get that? If God didn't care about you, sin would be inconsequential to him. The only thing that sin hurts is you and everything around you. Well, with that then, God, in the book of Exodus, starts to develop. But he's like, look it, I want to start developing a society. But that society has to start with me in the middle. Me in the middle. Not just me as a moon orbiting your planet. Me in the middle. And if Christ is in the middle, how does that change everything? And the minute that they start looking at that... excuse me, I started looking at it first from like, okay, well, the church, Jesus, and God's like, stop, 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 Junior. Let's get more intimate. What if the camp were your heart? Am I in the center of that? Because the moment I look at the camp, like my heart, everything changes. See, there was a mixed multitude that left Egypt. There were some that were so happy to get out of bondage, and there were others that were still missing the leaks the moment they left. And there's a part of my heart like that, too. Is there in yours? And there's a part, man, it's like all I want is Jesus. I mean, I crave, I crave Jesus. And there's another part of me that's always kind of looking out, going, let's see what's out there. And I know that part should die. And that's the beauty of watching what happens in this series, is that that outskirts of the camp is the part that really needs to die. There's a mercy in that. When I realize that's the part that will never ever, ever want to go where God wants it to go. It will go where everything else does and fight every step, but always be looking backwards. And it's hard to walk forward when that happens. Well, with that then, we walk through Leviticus and God's like, look at, I want to show you how the priests play into this and I want to show you that we are to be consecrated and there's a day when all debts are freed and this whole thing is about sacrifice and now we get into the book of Numbers where he starts counting and he goes, look it, now that you've been pulled out, you go from worshiper to warrior because there are battles to be fought and in this book of Numbers, there are a vast vast amount of people who are going to die and the major thing is they're not going to die by the hand of another spear or by somebody throwing a rock at them they're going to die because they have surrendered to the battles in their own heart the battles of lust and the battles of pride the part that says God I don't really need you in this part of my life by the time numbers is done the past the the sand behind us is one giant graveyard of an older generation because the old man has to die for the new man to rise up, to go where he wants it. In the New Testament, he tells us that the moment you said yes to Jesus, he killed who you were and a new man rose up. And here's the cool thing. Now, maybe some of you, you think you're like mostly good. I was never there. I never thought I was mostly good and God just needed to sort of slap a coat of paint on me. I knew that. I'm like, how do I get this over? And God's like, how about I kill him and start with a new guy? I'm like, oh, I volunteer immediately for that. And that's the beauty is, is that God wants to show us that the moment you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and you remain that way. And that new creation has God at the center of the camp. So we start moving forward. And in this book now, God starts to organize his people he starts to organize by saying, let's count all of the people. And so slide one, go ahead and throw that on there if you would. So what happens is that he starts to do this. And in the first couple of chapters, this is what we look at. This is what the camp looks like when the people are counted and put out. When you realize he puts them in groups of threes because there's, there's 12 total and it looks like a cross. And that's kind of a cool place to start to realize. God in the center, on the center of the cross, and as we were to look at it, that's what we would see. When we get to the story of Balaam, in Balak. When we get to the story where this, for this prophet kind of looks over the whole thing it says, he looks and he sees the camp in their formation. This is what he sees and he, see, and he says, I see him, but not now. I see him. And that prophet that was called to curse the people is going to see Christ because this is what he sees when he looks down. And when God organizes his camp, this is what it looks like. Next slide. But then he starts moving us to it. <clears throat> and he wants the Levites, those that are in service, to be right in the middle. Now understand, though there were three, three camps or three groups on each side with the 12 tribes, with the Levites in the center, it doesn't say where you had to be in that group. My question to you is where would you be? Would you be closest to the center? I mean, if you know that this is where God is going to be, would you be here? Would you be here? Or would you be here? if you were actually the tribes of Dan or the others that are underneath him. Because every one of us would say in a church like this, oh, I would be as close as I could to God. But what about tomorrow? What would you say? What would I say tomorrow? Because the closer we are to him there, the more we smell the sacrifice, the more we hear the praise, the more we realize that God is to be the very center of everything. But understand that if God is going to organize the camp, that camp needs to be a place of safety. Not just a place of, not just a place of, of people being there, but it needs to be a place of safety. And for it to be a place of safety, well, there's a problem. Because there are certain things that are dangerous to the heart and that are dangerous to us. And God wants them out. Understand it is not uncaring if God as the great physician looked at Amina and said, Amina, I see cancer in you. I want it out. And she could say, but that's a living thing. And he goes, yes, but that living thing, only one of those two living things is going to win. Sooner or later, one of those living things is going to die. You or it. And I love you so much. I want this out right now. Does that make sense? And I want you to look at this chapter with me from the perspective that God has some house cleaning to do in each of our hearts. Now understand, this is not because God's the great meanie. This is because God loves us so much. He doesn't want us dying. Well, look at it with me. Perhaps that seems lengthy, but after all... (coughs) Chapters 1 and 2, we counted the warriors. Chapters 3 and 4, we did the Levites. And now we moved out of the camp. We keep it safe. We keep it clean. And it says this in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You should put out both male and female. You shall put them outside of the camp, that they may not defile their camps. In the midst of which I dwell, and the children of Israel did so, and put them out of the camp as the Lord spoke to Moses, so the children of Israel did. This chapter is going to have three basic parts to it, and I'd thought about going two chapters, but I have a feeling we won 't get there and The first four verses we will talk about the filling verses five to ten we will talk about fellowship, and then verses eleven to thirty one the majority of it the issue of faithfulness. Now, notice in this, there are three different groups of people that are going to be removed. Now, they're not permanently removed, but they're removed as long as this particular thing is spoken of. Now, here's the first of them. And let me show you a couple pictures, by the way, to kind of get an idea here. Because in case it's so sanitized, you may miss it. So go ahead and flash a picture, our first one up there, if you would. This is what's called bacterium leprae. It is a rod-shaped acid-fast bacteria. It is a bacteria that it can stay in an active state in a tropical environment as long as nine to 11 days. And it focuses on your mucous membranes. So this is the way it works. Poor Gina has leprosy. Now, this is only, this is a, we're only using it as an example. She doesn't really have leprosy. You don't do you? Okay, just checking. Okay. And what happens is the way that it normally lodges itself is sort of in your sinuses or in the back of your throat. Those are the two places. Don't get nervous because I have a, this. It's not leprosy. <laughs> and what happens is this bacteria latches itself onto the back of that area. It's transmitted through that. So what happens is, Jeannie has a bit of a cold. She turns around. She's on the underground, and she's like, "Ah!" Oh, and there it is all over the railing, and five guys are standing there holding the railing like this. And the moment one of them plucks their eye, picks their nose, or thinks they have something in their teeth because someone from the Caribbean had gone up to them and told them so, well, at that point, now it's starting to make its way in. Does that make sense? And the moment it gets in there, it starts to gestate. As it starts to gestate, this is what happens. It starts to, it starts to breed, it starts to spread, and ultimately makes itself underneath the surface of your skin. The way that you start to notice it is you think you got a strange pimple. That strange pimple turns copper color. It doesn't matter what your skin tone is, it's still copper color. And that's when things get a little bit weird. Now you tend to think that could be a boil, that could be something, you treat it in whatever way you do. You put your oxyten on it, or six or seven coats of foundation, and just try to move on with life. But sooner or later it starts to turn white. You see, what leprosy does is there is, in all of our bodies, there are at least 170,000 of these cool little spaces that are your nerves. And they're kind of where one fires on one side and it receives it on the other. There's a little space in between. And what happens is these things attack these receivers. So when your nerve shoots, like you stub your toe, it goes all the way up to your brain and it goes, and what it does is that then sends it to a handful of places, back down to your foot to pull it out, over to your mouth to go, ah, or whatever the case is, you know. Or, you know, some of you, it's just in case, right? And you don't know if it should. I know people like that. They're like, oh, I'm like, did it hurt? No, but I said it just in case. All right. Well... That part from here, all of those little neurons get interrupted. And what happens then is this, this this bacteria coats those in such a way and destroys those receivers in such a way that you become numb. Now, you don't realize, maybe in the beginning that sounds good, but it's not. So what happens is that numbness affects everything. If you think about it, what the numbness starts to affect first are those places farthest from your heart because they're the parts with the least amount of circulation, which is unless you're running, your fingers and your toes, right? They can turn gooey and yellow if it's cold outside because they're the farthest from you. But it also affects your skin. You see, the neurons under your skin are the things that tell your skin to regenerate. So what happens is your skin no longer starts to regenerate. So next picture. So what happens then is it starts to erode. Now, it'll take as long as 20 years for this to happen. But what will happen is that when this starts to happen, your skin stops regenerating. That's why it turns white. Does that make sense? Now, what will happen then is if your hand is in the fire... You will not know it's in the fire until you smell something burning and go, I smell cookies. And then you look over and you realize your hand's on fire. Traditionally in the Middle East, 2,000 years ago, what this would mean is you would not wake up because you felt something on your toes. You would hear the sound of a rat eating your toes because it smells dead flesh. And the rat would wake you up by the sound. And I'm sorry to be gross, but I'm not sorry. Because this is what happens when numbness graduates. In the beginning, the first stage of it, you'd probably think this is pretty awesome. I have a real high tolerance for pain. Check this out. Yeah, awesome. What used to hurt doesn't hurt anymore. Nail me for like a week would be like, awesome. I don't crib. I don't do this anymore. Things are awesome. I don't feel pain. I'm so tired. Listen, I'm so tired of feeling pain. I'm so tired of feeling pain. If I could just numb the pain, wouldn't that be great? And this is what starts happening. And then, next picture, then it graduates to your face. And what happens at that point is, it covers your eyelids, and because all of the nerves that control your eyes, it starts to eat at your eyes. It eats at your ears. The man that we read approached Jesus in Matthew 8 and in Luke, we read was covered in leprosy, which means that this man was at his final stages. Now in those days they had no idea about bacteria or anything like that. It was like AIDS in the 80s. They had no idea how it was transmitted, and all they wanted was them as far away from us as possible. Do you get it? And it is transmitted as easy as any form of mucus transmission. I don't have any more pictures, do I, Lauren? Of that? You should be thankful, right? Go ahead and go ahead and flip back to the text. Listen. How does that relate to me? I get. Now you can get the idea why God would want a person like this out of your camp. Because they are terribly contagious. But God said you don't have to be out there forever. Or for that matter, that you're not going to be untended to. They were put in specific places where they were supposed to be cared for. Called colonies. But I'd like you to consider this. From our perspective. But do you know, by the way, that there are, as of last year, over 300,000 recorded cases of leprosy still on the planet, of those over 300,000, 201,000 of them are in Southeast Asia. And you can't reverse it, whatever damage it's done. We do have medicine now to kill the bacteria, but whatever damage has been done can't be reversed. What they often do is they try to, what I've heard lately is they try to amputate and do things like hand replacements and stuff like that. but I'd like you to consider it from a deeper perspective. If I was looking at the camp as my heart, numbness is dangerous and contagious. Hey, maybe you're in a place where there is pain. Ask a guy how he got addicted to alcohol if he were honest with you. A lot of times it's just to numb the pain. And there are things in our life; they're rough. I mean, there's our past. Let's be honest. There are things in our past. If we spend our rest of our life, rest of our life revisiting it, it'll always feel pain when we walk back there. And there are all businesses set up, major institutions, where the whole thing is to get you to walk through it, and walk through it, and walk through it. But it doesn't make the pain go away, does it? It just revisits it. And then there's this God of all comfort whose blood wants to wash you so clean and make you a new creation that it doesn't have to be attached to you anymore. And I can speak from example. My God delivers. He doesn't just remove. He delivers. And beloved, when he delivers, he sets free. Because we no longer have to be who we were. Because to be honest, the biggest difference isn't that I decided one day I'm a new person. Because God is in the center of my camp. And if God is in the center of my camp, everything changes. And if God is in the center of my camp, that numbness, that numbness now is an enemy. That I wanted for so long to medicate, run from, ignore. Now it's laid to rest. Hey, I was, I was what, 14, maybe 15, 14, in a fight with a friend of mine who was also into martial arts. I'd gotten to this point where I'd kind of got him underneath, knocked him out, thought I had won. The other side of the sticks came underneath my feet, underneath my knees, threw him up and I landed on the tip of my shoulder blade, on the bottom tip of it, popped out my collarbone three inches. And I was like, this is sore. Sore. You know, and a classic dumb kid. I'm like, I'm the kind of kid who sewed my knee together. So it's, you know, I'm the kind of looking at Okay, well, let's sleep on it and see what happens. So I sleep on it. You know, it's still there. Like what? I'm going to wake up one day. It's like, whoop, it goes down. Yeah, whatever. And so finally I wake up one day, my own arm's like this. And I can't feel it. And I'm like, I think I should go to the doctor. Yeah, some of you would have gone earlier, right? Because you're smart. So, yeah, I know. And... um. My wife's thinking, see, he's always been like this. And so I went there, and he's like, and the, the, the doctor did his x-rays over nobody's He's like, oh, not good, not good. And I'm like, what, what? And basically, my bone was resting on the primary nerve and was severing it. And if I had severed it, this arm would have been dead. And he's like, you know, you realize if you had slept on another night, you could have lost it. I'm like, oh no! I, how could I lose it? It's right there. And he's like, you know what I mean. And so, so finally, he like, you know, they did this surgery. And of course, the whole bit. Now it's all artificial. I'm like, you know, RoboCop or whatever. And um, steel pins a little bit. Don't make me. Don't make me. All right. Uh, and and with all of that, then um, the first time I remember when he go and he took that pin and he stuck it in my finger, and I hurt and I felt it and it was pain. I was the best pain I ever felt in my life because that pain said, listen, 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 that pain said that this is alive again. That's what that said. And look at, maybe you're afraid of that pain. You're afraid to hurt. But if that pain says that this heart's alive again, I'll take it in ministry. Your heart's going to be broken all the time. But it's then also healed all the time. I can tell you how God heals because He's continually healing my broken heart and I'm thankful for it. I'd rather have you break my heart. I'd rather you not. That's, I'm not encouraging that, but I'd rather you do that than me to be completely indifferent over your own pain. And God really wants us to be people who are alive. And you can barricade that heart, and you know this happens, and you're like, fine, that person's never, never gonna get in here again. And what happens is you built walls around your heart and you realize that, that those walls go both ways, man. It isn't just that they can't get in, you can't get out. And God says, Today, He brought you into this room to tell you that it is time to get the leper out of the camp. The numbness. And you know what'll happen? There will always be a reason to run back to crack, run back to pornography, run back to alcohol, run back to whatever. Because if you're looking for a reason, you'll find it. Oh, a plane disappeared. I better go get drunk. Did you know anyone on the plane? Doesn't matter. Let's be honest. And we do it with whatever. But if we could settle accounts on this and let God actually heal We don't have to go back to those horrible things that are traps set, that are, by the way, that we set in our past, that we don't have to go back to anymore. I've been homeless. I've been an addict. I've been all kinds of things. But I am none of those anymore. I'm none of those. Well, that's the first of the three things. The question is are you willing with me today to let God kick out the lepers from our hearts? To say, God, whatever you want me to feel, I want to feel it. Well, then we get to the second. And by the way, for what it's worth, <clears throat> excuse me, for what it's worth, that is something you may actually have to deal with here and there. There are times where I've let God go, all right, God, let's get it all out. And then the leper will come back in Something will happen. Someone you love flips out and gets crazy on you. And you go, and it's so easy to go, all right, God, let's numb again. And sometimes God will pull out for a little bit and let you heal. But it is always to restore back to a place where your heart's where it should be. The second, notice it says, not just a leper, but it tells everyone who has a discharge. The term, by the way, here's a classic Hebrew word, zub. Can you say that? Zub? Come on now, give me some good Hebrew. Zub. Come on, because I got little, so you're going to have to zoop me. Well, you know, zoop means, by the way, to gush out, to overflow. But it's an overflow that's a negative overflow. And I get the idea here. See, what God knew before any other scientist did was that things are transmitted through gushings. I mean, even a runny nose should tell you something. And God knows how to quarantine things that are dangerous. That's a flow of blood. That's an oozing sore. And I look at that and I think, now what about me? What does it say in the New Testament about overflows that are dangerous? Interesting. Jesus spoke in Matthew 12:34. It's an easy one to remember. Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. And he says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what really bothers me about that verse? He doesn't say what's contained in your heart. He says what's overflowing. By the time it falls out of your mouth, you are overflowing with that nastiness. You ever heard of something come out of your mouth and you're like, whoa, that was pretty rotten. Where did that come from? God's like, do you want me to show you your heart? Because at this point, it's festering and erupting. There isn't a little bit that snuck out to the top like oil on water. This was actually so full at this point, you're spilling it all over, and your mouth's the overflow valve. Jesus said in Matthew 15:18, "But the things that proceed out of the out of the, out of the um, let's try that again, things that proceed out of the mouth." that's what defiles a man. He says, not the things that go in. They were saying, well, if you eat this or that, you'll be defiled. Jesus is like, look at, you need to know it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. And he says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, which he speaks, by the way, about bitterness in our hearts, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. And I get the idea here that there is a part in my heart that will quickly entertain accusation, that will quickly absorb gossip. And this stuff goes into my heart like dainties, royal dainties, according to um, Proverbs. Do you know what a royal dainty is? I don't know, but I kind of get the idea that it's something the king has that is dainty. (laughs) Somehow you want it. Oh, I'll have one of those. Oh, this is dainty. I, can I have another dainty, please? Sorry, how no, I try to sound even remotely British. I sound like a pirate, don't I? I, I want to dog. I'm going to take all the royal dainties today. <laughs> Sorry, I can't pick me. You did. But I wonder if there's any of that in my heart. You know that part of me that actually is allowed to become divisive? Because you know what the Bible says? It says, by the way, to note those that cause division and then avoid them, Romans sixteen seventeen. In Titus 3.10, it says after the first and second admonition, you reject a divisive person. It tells us in Second Timothy, listen to this, 2.23, Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient and humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may come to know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Listen, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Even a brother in the Lord can be taken captive to do the will of the enemy because what the will of the enemy wants to do is divide Christians. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that is really living an ardent sin. Interestingly enough, that applies to the first thing with leprosy. When it says in 1 Corinthians, somebody who calls himself a brother, but is living an ardent drunkenness, or living an ardent sexuality that's outside of of marriage, that's living an ardent party lifestyle, or an ardent violence. He says, that person, by the way, needs to get out there and get a full dose of that so they can repent and come home. That's somebody who's numb to their own sin. And just like it says here, they need to get out of the camp. But here, we're not talking about somebody. And you know what the difference is? Someone that'll admit it's wrong. The moment someone's like, look, you know what? It's wrong and I need help. There's help. And when they're like, no, it's really not that bad. It's just a a few lines a night. It's just a couple needles here and there. What's the big deal? You're like, bro. We need to deal with this right away. There's no just a little. It's just a little gangrene. It's just a little cancer. It's just a little leprosy. Yeah, but this stuff doesn't stop. It grows. It's just a discharge. It's just flying out of my mouth. And I always say, be careful of those that spend all their time trying to convert the saved. So what camp are you in? Do you stand on this side or this side? Can we be saved on both sides? And let's stop arguing over it. Well, when's the Lord coming back? Before, after, during the middle of the tribulation? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm an optimist, but I'll tell you what. One day we're all going to agree. But I guarantee you, when the Lord's coming back, we won't look at each other and go, "Ha! I was right." Jesus, like, do I have to send you back down? Man, are we leaking? In the first case, there's leprosy. But in this case, are we leaking? Are we leaking bitterness and anger, holding on to spite? Let me tell you what Scripture says. That if you have something against your brother, oh man, God is serious about this. He says, if you have something against your brother and you're going to go and take an an offer, something before the altar, this is Matthew 18. First of all, it says, you need to deal with it with you and him alone. I love that because that's what we're going to deal with here in a moment. But God wants to really make sure that we don't bring into this fellowship or into our hearts that which only divides us from other people who love Jesus. But man, if there are people, if we love someone genuinely and they're running out after their own sin, we should love them enough to say, Stop! What are you doing? This is nonsense. Then there was this third area, the area of touching, t- touching death. Now understand, this wasn't a person that was permanently set out of the camp. There was a whole process for a person. But if you were like there and your mom died and you're holding her in your arms, which is a loving and caring thing to do, and for a week you're embalming her and taking care of her and loving on her, which is a loving thing to do, but they're going to have you do that outside of the camp because there are all kinds of dangerous things that breed in death. And they don't want you to take it and bring that death to other people. The good news is you can get cleansed and you can get back in. Listen to this. It's about being so separate. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Some of you are familiar with it. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Which means worthlessness. What part does a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are now the temple of the living God excuse me, as God has said, I will dwell among them or in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out therefore and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Now understand, If there is there are times where you reach out to death. You reach out to the dead, but you bring the life of Christ. But when you are done with all of that, go and take a bath. Get in the word, because you know what happens? And I watch this with a lot of evangelists who aren't in the word like they should be. They start taking these weird and crazy doctrines because they've been sharing with people who don't know the Lord about what God should be. And it's like, okay, but I want you to know Jesus. And they get there, but then they go home and they take a little of that death with them. And it's like, get in the word, man, and let God wash that away so you remember who God really is. And then get into the camp. Because God does not want you spouting that nonsense and spreading that death. He wants the camp safe. Are you following me on this? So listen it's the leprosy and the leaking and the leaving, or being desensitized, discharging, and dripping death. But in either case, God says it needs to leave the heart. I'll move forward, and it moves rather quick. There are two more areas. Verse 5. Follow it with me. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, add a fifth to it, and give it to the one he has wronged. But what if the man has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong? Well, then the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priest, in addition to the ram of atonement with what atonement is made for him, with which atonement is made for him. Every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. And every man's holy thing shall be his, whether any man, whatever any man gives, the priest shall be his. Now listen, (coughs) there's no place to rip off your brother or sister in this fellowship. And God makes it really clear. But it isn't just if you did something and you sin. And notice it says, as men do. In other words, it's just the culture. But God says, it's not my culture. You go and make restitution. But you make restitution and you add 20%. That could be the best thing that ever happened to you if someone wronged you. So someone took your iPhone... They were going to do something funny with it and dropped it in the toilet. And then said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't know how that got in there. I was going to go to the toilet and I saw it in there. But I think it was yours. How did you know it was mine? Oh, I don't know. Intuition. You know, you just ripped them off. The Bible says if you're going to do it and make it right. Get them a new iPhone and then add 20%. Here, here's a battery charger with it or a case or something. See, what God wants us to realize is that when you hurt somebody, we should go out of our way to actually try to help them. Sorry doesn't cut it. You ever have anyone do that? My sister, by the way, I have a twin, used to punch me in the face and then run to my parents and say I hurt her hand. And then after all of that went down, she'd look at me and go, sorry, sorry, I'm like, I ain't buying it. But what if that what if we really cared enough for people to make sure that we took care of them the way we were supposed to? When somebody got actually hurt, we went out of them, out of our way to take care of them. Because if that would happen, you realize we wouldn't live our life with regret of what we could have done, but we didn't. God says, Let me set this standard right now. So you're gonna go leave your gift at the altar? But you realize you've done something bad to someone? God says, don't even play me. This ain't all big old hallelujah. While you're busy scamming and hurting people, go get it right with people right now. And then let's deal with it. What if we were like that? Do you know what I've learned? If we were like that, and we've had societies like that, most of the time we're apologizing for things we haven't hurt other people with. Have you noticed that? If you gone to someone and go, hey, I'm so sorry. And they're like, what? I don't even remember that oh, okay, well, here's some candy anyways. I'm like, awesome, way to go. But you just want to make sure that in your heart it's clean? Wouldn't that be great? See, what God does not want is for us to kind of poo-poo over things and try to make it seem like we can treat people like rubbish and then think that God's awesome. He goes, it just does not play that way. Jesus did not die for a church. Jesus died for people to be with them and he wants it dealt with. So in the first era, where we talked about the things that we were filled with, like leprosy or this numbness, in the second case, we deal with our own fellowship. How am I in fellowship with other people? Am I lying to people, saying, oh, I I wish I could be there, but maybe I'll be there, but I know I'm not going to be there. Would I do that? If that's the case, how do I give him 20% more of my time the next time? What if we did that? You realize the reason why you give twenty percent isn't so that the other person benefits. It's so that you will realize there's a cost to ripping people off. There's a cost to treating people that way, and God doesn't want it. Man, and this is—let's be honest—that is supposed to be the fundamental thing that a church is supposed to be different. People walk in. We are supposed to be so in love with each other they are—they want to be a part of it. Because they're like, oh my goodness, these people are actually, they actually like each other. Let's face it, we are so weird because we aren't like that. Can I commend you? You guys are amazing. It isn't like black like black people and white like white people or old people like old people. And it's like, that's the world. But what's like, look at the way you're sitting. Look at who you're sitting with. Look at what the, the point is, is that God has this way of taking people and just making us different and then letting us love each other. So the rest of the world goes, now, how does that work? You go, Jesus, he's at the center of the camp. That's the way it works because his blood flows through all of us. So let me ask you, is there something that needs to be dealt with? Here's the good news, is that God will deal with it today. You're like, well, what if that person died? That's why God tells us the rest of that text. He's, well, then go get a relative. He's like, what if that guy has no relatives? Then you just take it to the Lord, and you're like, Lord, I just want to confess it either way. I'm gonna leave that ram. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lay my sacrifice down, which is Jesus, and say, look at Jesus has died for this, and I want you to know, I want to repent of this. I don't want this to be my life anymore. I don't want to size people up and use them anymore. I just don't want that to be who I am. Does that make sense? That's the beauty. See, understand that when that happens, you walk out of here. Free. Even though you were the one who may have dripped someone off, you can walk out of here free today. And then we get to the last area. Now this one is so fun because it's strange. Look at it with me. And the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, If a man's wife goes astray and behaves unfaithfully toward him, and a man lies with her carnally, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband and it is concealed that she, that she has defiled herself and that there is no witness against her nor was she caught. Ooh, it sounds like she got away with it, doesn't it? Oh, no. Numbers thirty-two twenty-three says, by the way, you need to be sure of this. Your sin will find you out. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Did you notice the order? She goes astray, then behaves unfaithfully, and then lies carnally. It's like the wander, and then the willing, and then the wanton. That's the way it goes. Maybe you haven't done that, but you're at the wandering. You're looking a little bit more when you walk down the street at who the new eye candy is. Summer's coming. There'll be an endless amount of things to look at. Because the wandering goes to the willing and the willing goes to the wanton. And God says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But notice in verse 14, it says, if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him, that's the husband, and he becomes jealous of his wife. He who has defiled herself or the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife, although she has not defiled herself. He's got a process here. You know what? Atheists love to take this text. I don't know what they think they're going, to get, they're going to get out of it. But understand what God's about to do. He's going to do such a fail-safe thing that he's going to protect the faithfulness of a marriage. and He's also going to protect the faithful wife. Think about this, ladies. It's 2,000 years ago. A man in the Middle East, and I'm not talking about God's culture, I'm talking about Middle Eastern culture, can beat his wife to death if he thinks that she's been unfaithful. Imagine if you've been faithful, not unfaithful, but the husband's jealous. How do you prove yourself? If you know what it's like to live among jealousy, you know you'll never be able to fully absolve yourself. Because the moment you've like defended yourself against one thing, the next thing comes up. God wants to protect a faithful wife. He really wants to protect a faithful wife. So he's got this crazy process he's about to show us. But he also wants to protect a faithful marriage. And you need to know that if you want to be faithless, there's going to be some, there's going to be some price to pay for it. So listen. The man shall bring his wife to the priest. He shall bring the offering required for her, one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal, you shall pour no oil on it, no frankincense on it, because it's a grain offering of jealousy. An offering for remembering, for iniqui- for bringing iniquity to remembrance. Interesting, it's the only one with barley because it's a beggar's offering. There's no oil or frankincense because those two things remind you of prayer and of worship and the Holy Spirit. And like, look at Somewhere down the line, someone's missing something. Either the husband and his f- f- like foolish jealousy or the wife and her faithlessness. And then and they take this offering... And the priest shall bring her near, set her before the Lord. The priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, take some of the dust that's on the floor of the tabernacle, put it into the water. Then the priest shall stand the woman before the Lord, uncover her head, which is a sign, by the way, of non-submission, and put the offering for remembering in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And the priest shall then have in his hand the bitter water that brings a curse. And the priest shall put her under oath and say to the woman, If no man is lain with you, if you have not gone astray to uncleanness while under your husband's authority, be free from this bitter water that brings a curse. If you've gone astray while under your husband's authority and you have defiled yourself with some man other than your husband who is lain with you, then the priest shall put the woman under an oath of the curse and he shall say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse. in an an oath among the people when the Lord makes your thigh rot and your belly swell. (coughs) Any of you think this is awesome? Rotten thighs and swollen bellies? Ladies, the Lord's always known you've wanted a thin tummy. If you're innocent, you don't have to worry, do you? Oh, but if you're guilty, oh, beware. Of the rotted thigh and the swollen belly. That sounds so pirate-like. Excuse me. And may the water that causes the curse go into your stomach and make your belly swell and your thigh rot. And the woman will say, Amen. Be careful of your amens. What you are saying is, so be it. In just a moment, we'll have the opportunity to pray. And when we do, I'm going to invite you to accept this Jesus as your Lord and Savior, who died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the grave, and I'm going to pray a prayer. And at the end, I'm going to invite you to say, Amen. Or, if you prefer, Amen. In either case, what you're saying is, just like this, I agree, so be it for me. So understand, God holds that binding. He takes it seriously. The priest then shall write these curses in a book and scrape them off into the bitter water. Now understand, a book was normally like a piece of clay tablet writing in it with your finger, which is interesting because it reminds me of John 8 when Jesus kneeled down, if you remember, knelt down and wrote into the sand. I think, huh, about a woman caught in adultery. He shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings a curse and the water that brings a curse shall enter her to become bitter then the priest shall take the, the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand wave the offering before the lord and bring it to the altar and the priest shall take a handful of the offering <clears throat> it, it as its memorial portion burn it on the altar and afterward make the woman drink the water when he has made her drink the water then it shall be if she has defiled herself and behaved unfaithfully toward her husband that the water that brings a curse will enter her become bitter and her belly will swell and her thigh will rot. It looks like immediately, by the way. It doesn't look like it's something like wait a couple weeks. So let's say Andy's totally innocent. <clears throat> and Mike's overcome with jealousy. And is like, I don't know, I think you've been unfaithful. Wouldn't Andy, in her right mind, say, well, let's just go right now and prove it. Isn't it awesome? She can do that. It's the only culture in the Middle East where she could be completely proven innocent. But what if she's like, no, I haven't. And Mike's like, well, let's go to the priest. She's like, no, I don't think we should. (laughs) There's a part of you that starts thinking, oh, no, you didn't. See what I'm saying? Because God really wants a marriage faithful. Because I want you to realize God presents himself as the groom. Aren't you thankful God's not making you do this? Any of you have been perfectly faithful to God? I haven't. Praise God, he continues to make me a new creation. Praise God, he's constantly cleaning us. But that is no reason to go out and sin. That is cause to celebrate. Now, verse 28 If the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, she will be free. And notice it says, and may conceive children. I guess this whole rotted thigh thing, swollen belly, involves children now, doesn't it? But please hear me. Our faithlessness to God affects our fruitfulness. God wants us to be fruitful, but he wants us to be faithful. God doesn't want us bearing the fruit of death. God wants us bearing the fruit of life. And only he can do that. I'm not talking about being weird, but I know this, that as you cling to Christ, the rest just starts happening. And some of you are bearing fantastic fruit. I'm watching it. I'm in awe of you. And I mean that sincerely. What I watch God do in your life makes my heart sing because my mouth ain't doing so well with it right now. But I tell you what, don't stop. Fall in love with Jesus and watch what he does. So this is the law of jealousy. When a wife, while under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself. By the way, if a man brings his wife there and she is proven innocent, he is shamed before the elders. You need to know that, ladies. It isn't like the guy gets away with it. They're like, ah, that's the guy that was jealous over nothing. Ah." And there's the talk of the town. When the spirit of jealousy comes upon a man and he becomes jealous of his wife, then he shall stand the woman before the Lord. The priest shall execute this law upon her. When the man will be free from iniquity, but the woman will bear her guilt. And this protects the woman. Now please hear me as we go to prayer. This is what God wants to drive out of the camp. First, he wants to drive out our numbness, right? The part of us that's numb about people going to hell, the part of us that's numb about worldliness, the part of us that's numb about sin. But then it's also the issues of our heart that fall out of our mouth. He wants us to be careful about what we say. Our mouths are supposed to be always full of grace, season with salt. There should be eternity in everything we say. It should be attached to eternity. That blue thread should be dangling from all that we say. People go, Oh, so what is it like? I should just say Jesus all the time. You know what? If your heart was overflowing with them, it will happen. You don't have to write the script. You just have to fill the heart. But then it's also <clears throat> excuse me, about when we're out there in the dead. The Bible tells us we're all born spiritually dead. But a God of life brings us to life the moment we accept Jesus' death on the cross for our sin and his resurrection. And today, he wants to make you more than just nice. He wants to make you brand new. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? Because the Bible says, if you're willing to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised them from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And I'd love for you today to say yes to Jesus. I have... I know some of you have, and I don't want you walking out of here without knowing you're responsible to that choice today. But this isn't like following a religious leader that died because he was nice. This guy rose from the dead, and I get to hang out with him all the time. He is at the center of my camp, and he still leads me. And my life has never been the same. But then it's also about how we treat each other, because once our heart gets right, we start looking at each other different. We don't use people for stuff. All of our stuff is now used to bless people. And we realize, now everything's about people, and I just want to love you guys. And as that's the case, then God says, "Don't forget, even in the midst of that, this is supposed to be a camp of faithfulness. And I protect the faithful. This is one of the reasons why when people start going crazy and saying crazy things, it's not our job to defend. We trust the Lord. The beautiful beautiful part is you walk in him and you let him do it. He always does. So listen, if you have said yes to Jesus today, if you have said yes to Jesus, are you ready to ask him to kick out of the camp of our hearts anything that doesn't belong? that this camp from the very outside all the way in would look like him. And people go, what is up with you? And you say, up is it. I've been raised from the dead. I'm a new creation. And I want the world to know that my God makes people different, not just weird. There's enough weird people out there that don't know him. But if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'd love for you walking out of here a brand new creation. And I don't even know who it is, but if your heart's racing, it's not because I'm the one doing it. It's because God's own spirit is working on you right now saying, please surrender to this love. So let's pray, would you? Let's all pray. God, I thank you so much for the beauty of this chapter and how you're leading us, Lord, to having the kind of camp that you desire here. A camp where you create a whole new society that doesn't look like the world around us. We were once in captivity, and we don't want to look like that anymore. We want you at the very center of our camps, God. Please be the center. Please be the center. So, Lord, I pray for every believer here, myself included. Lord, if there be any numbness, eradicate it. Cleanse us. Interesting, lepers don't get healed, they get cleansed in Scripture. Cleanse us of our numbness. If there is an overflow of our hearts that have been filled with bitterness or division or anything that hurts other people, Lord, completely purify our hearts and fill them with a sweet love for you, so full that out of our mouths would torrent praise of the God who saved us. If there be anything, Lord, in our hearts that still crave the death we came from. Lord, and we want to take that and somehow drag it into church. Drag it into our hearts. Eradicate that today. That we wouldn't try to be anything like the dying world around us. But that we would be so much like heaven, people would see the novelty and be drawn to it. And I know you're doing that here. I see how you're doing that here. Continue. We ask for more, 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 more of that, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would treat each other with respect and be careful that if in any way we've even concerned ourselves with the fact that we've hurt someone in some way or defrauded someone in some way, that we would go over the top and make sure, Lord, that it was taken care of and rectified. That there will be none of that, Lord, of any sort that we would be quick to grant forgiveness to those who are. And Lord, with that as well, I pray you would make us faithful. That You would make us faithful. And we wouldn't be jealous of each other, Lord, or jealous of anything. But Lord, rather that you would make us faithful. Because we want to be fruitful for you. Make us such people that when we walk out of here, we are so cleansed in you, Lord, that we just can't wait to affect the world around us and bless each other. And right now, Lord, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you know who, if any, in this room are still deciding whether they want to say yes to you. And look at whether that is, Lord, whether you're not sure you have or not, you can be sure today. I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if this is a prayer you're willing to agree with, I ask you to then say so be it by saying amen. That's it. Just amen. But give a resounding confident Amen. And you're saying, yeah, that's my prayer now. And here it is. God, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner like everyone else. And you punish all sin. But in your perfect love for me, you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for my sins so all my sin could be punished upon him and not upon me. And he died the death I deserve. But three days later, just like scripture promised, he rose again. And now he deserves to be not just the dead savior, but the living Lord of my life. So I say yes to Jesus as my payment as my ransom, as my Savior, and as my Lord. I give myself to you now, and I say, have me, reinvent me, and make me the new creation you promised that you wanted to. As I surrender to you now, have me. I'm yours, in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to give a confident resounding, Amen. Amen. Oh, Lord thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done here, thank you for carrying my voice pirate as it is, through this Lord, but I pray right now, as we prepare to leave here, Lord, that you make us people who bless each other and love each other and encourage each other, may we be so radically different Lord, that we would be amazed at our own behavior, and Lord for those who have said yes to you for the first time today, Lord, may the change be so evident, fill them with a joy inconquerable, Lord, give them a hunger for your word, and plan them strong in your house that they would prosper the way you ordain and lord we give this all to you and we praise you in jesus name amen